Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast, the first podcast of the year 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine, who is uh, under the weather. Yes. Hi, John. Hanging okay. in there. So she's hanging in there. I uh, and I had COVID uh, the other week, so I now am, have superpowers. I can go anywhere and do anything. I can eat a mask in front of you. Uh, it was, in fact, as you keep reading about, nothing. And I am a 60-year-old man with a comorbidity. So uh, if I had Omicron and it was nothing, and my kids who had it had very few symptoms, I mean, we had a little, like a little bit of a sore throat, and a little bit of a runny nose. That was it. No fever, stuff like that. Um, at least that is my own personal anecdotal evidence that all of the information that we're getting about Omicron being significantly milder, not leading to an increase in hospitalizations, and certainly uh, to the extent that people are being hospitalized, they are all entirely unvaccinated. Uh, a friend of mine who was on the board of a major hospital in New York City uh, informed me on Christmas Day that there were 82 hospitalizations for COVID, 81 of whom were unvaccinated, and 69 of those 81 had been intubated. So obviously, Omicron, like every version of COVID is extremely dangerous for the unvaccinated and at least again anecdotally in my case and it appears longitudinally in the case of data from uh, South Africa, from Britain and now increasingly from what's going on here it really isn't dangerous uh, except in very very extreme cases uh, for anybody who is who is vaccinated. Um, so that's why we had this weird shift in tone and emphasis over the last 10 days um, that I think uh, threw a lot of people for a loop, right? The CDC announcing that the not only would the period of isolation once, uh, once a, a positive test had been reached uh, re be reduced from 10 days to five, but that you could deem yourself done with COVID after five days if you were asymptomatic, not if you had a test. There was a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback. And then yesterday, Anthony Fauci said that the, you know, there may, they may revisit this idea that you can just say it was five days and I don't have symptoms so I can go back out in the world rule because of all the pushback, except that uh, you can't get a test. So unless you have spent, as I did, $700 I spent $700 as it happens to get home tests just at the right moment for my family. And, you know, we have, I don't know, 25, 26, 27 tests as a result of it in the house, but you know, there are five of us. So that's not an overwhelming number of tests, but you can't get tests. And in New York city, for example, where they have dozens of these pop-up trucks where you can get a test, uh, the, the time period to get the results of your PCR test back extended from four hours to 24 hours to 48 hours. And now I think if you walk by, the sign says results in five days because they're overwhelmed by the number of tests, testing they have to do. So, of course, that's not helpful. <laughs> A five-day lag between when you test and when you get results. They're going to make people stay in isolation until they get the result of the test that would have told them that they were fine five days earlier. Um, the, the wheels are coming off the public health guidance. And the one thing that did seem to happen that seemed to be the first acknowledgement of the madness that they had all descended into was this decision to essentially deem, deem the Omicron sufferer through after five days without symptoms. And as it happens, by the way, that was precisely what happened in our case, in my household, which is that everybody had it for five days and then and then tested <laughs> negative afterwards, um, almost to the hour, right? So, um, but they're going to revisit it because because it hasn't satisfied the you know professional neurotics 
who think you could still get it and then maybe a kid could get it who can't be fully vaccinated or can't be vaccinated, whatever. Um, but it was interesting. And it- of course, no, I was, I'm sorry. I was just going to say this one thing. There was this bizarre shift, not only in Fauci and in the CDC guidance, but in the media coverage in general, as though as though it sprung from the head of Athena came the theory that, A, it's like the flu and it's not even as bad as the flu. It's a cold and we need to learn to live with COVID all of a sudden. Abe, can you help me explain? I just want to add. Yeah. There's also other things that other developments that have that have happened. And, and you know, on and, and, and all of these sort of admissions, which is kind of what they feel like, um, are interesting because they kind of track with what people like us have been saying for a long time now. Um, so there's also the this sort of revelation that cloth masks don't uh, really do much to protect you from COVID, which is what we've known for a long time since we've known that the virus is airborne. Um, there's now the emphasis on focusing on hospitalizations instead of case numbers, which is something that we've been saying and Noah has been saying on this podcast for a long time. Um, I think but what's changed is that everyone's getting it. And, and, and the, it's no longer a question of wagging your finger at the person who's doing the wrong thing. Um, you, could, you, could, you could tell them to do all sorts of things and, you know, stand on one foot and hop up and down and that, you know, but, but once everyone's getting it, um, uh, you, you have to, you have to sort of come to a, another understanding of things. We're not there, there yet. <clears throat> I mean, all, it's a pleasant to see all these people, you know, acknowledging reality, <clears throat> but a lot of institutions are going in the wrong direction, notably schools. No, schools, schools really? In, yeah. Schools in, uh, in every major Metro, most of the major metros, dark blue enclaves around the country and in, even in places near, you know, in suburban places that are reliably democratic, um, schools are taking really excessive precautions. They're shutting down again. In my school, they're doing their best not to shut down, but also eat lunch outside, so great, so great that distance from best. each other for children, so it's, which is, no one's going to follow. So all the, the, the public policy response from the teachers unions doesn't mirror this you know, revelation that's reflected in institutional Look, elites. They're doing their best. They're heroes. They're heroes because they're announcing that they can't go to work. There is going to be a work stoppage in Chicago on Wednesday. And, and because- the teachers union in New York City sued uh, for an injunction to refuse to go back to school as well. They're suing to refuse to do their job because, as you say, they are heroes. They're heroes. And, you know, I, I they're I spreading really... misinformation, too. I'm sorry to interrupt one more time. They are spreading misinformation about this virus and the risk to anyone in schools. We now know community spread happens outside of schools more than inside of them. And school is a safer place for many of these kids than outside of it. OK, rant over. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm going to rant a little more than you on this for for once. Teachers unions now have as part of their uh, of the uh, uh, tools in their toolkit, the idea that they have a role to play in when, aside from contractually, in when they go and they don't go to work. This is something that nobody in the world has as an employee, number one. And number two, and I don't want to start getting ugly about this but they get two months off a year. They get two months off a year and they had this fantastic year where they got to stay home, teach in their underwear, not teach at all, send poor people who don't have printers 30 page documents to print out to for a seven-year-old to study on their own. And then had the entire world of blue America praising them for their sacrifice in collecting full salary, full benefits for working a third of the amount of time at most that they had worked in previous years. And now they are trying to cling on to this like it is, you know, I mean, they're 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 going to do whatever they can to continue to change policies so that they play a role in determining whether or not they work and 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 how they work, again, outside of contractual agreements as though we remain in a crisis. And if you look at the COVID deaths and hospitalization numbers, as Omicron has exploded in the last two weeks, 
and we have what appear to be millions of cases because of course we only have the officially reported test cases and not the home antigen test cases in the you know in in the mix in these numbers deaths are going down deaths are down 5% over 2 weeks ago while case numbers are exploding and hospitalizations are level or going down almost everywhere and all we now know is that the we we have the health we have our health systems overwhelmed for an entirely new reason now which again goes to an interesting thing about employment in the United States why is there a potential healthcare crisis because there's a worker shortage not because there are too many people in beds not because there isn't enough room in the ICU not because there aren't enough ventilators but because people have quit their jobs in the healthcare system and they've quit them for all sorts of interesting reasons like again anecdotally friends of mine who are doctors say that their staffs who work for them in and around hospitals who must in, must be mandated to have tests have quit rather than to test there is a whole subculture of healthcare worker who is leaving the profession rather than submit to a vaccine mandate even though in the country we are now reaching i think over 80% of americans over the age of 18 having had at least one shot that does not appear to be the case a, a disproportionate number of those who are not getting shots may not just be trump voters or anti-vaxxer but actually healthcare workers who are for some reason suspicious of the vaccine and uh i had another point and i forgot it so and i'm 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 ranting and i'm do dominating the time here so uh let's 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 try to take lessons here from what's going can on can i can i suggest that what this this omicron wave is going to present in terms of a political uh challenge for the Biden administration is that he you know he sort of let's recall peaced out right as this was all hitting to go vacation in Delaware saying you know what really the the federal response to to covid i it's really this up to the states now i'm out of here bye which was kind of shocking on its own but his party of which he is now the leader and which controls congress has to deal with its constituents it has to deal with the fact that that the teachers unions and its interest groups are lying to the public they are trying to shut down schools which actively harms the most vulnerable children in this country and they are doing it without anyone on their own side calling them out about it and and i i mean politically it makes no sense to me that biden wouldn't pick a fight have a sister soldier moment with the teachers unions or with one you know incompetent blue city mayor but he doesn't seem like he's willing to do that and they are going to pay for this politically uh very soon and they should but what why is he it, it goes against his own administration's messaging right now about covid and yet he lets it he lets them run rampant well, they I, did, i'm confused and they did take that lesson in, in november of last year briefly at least it seemed to be fully internalized <clears throat> by most of the left that the reason the primary reason for the blowout that they experienced last november was closing the schools in fact that seems to be the mandate that eric adams the new mayor of new york city has just fully internalized and is executing and is and is making a show of it uh especially the the far progressive left and the teachers unions and you know making making necessary adversaries there but nobody else seems to be eric adams strikes me as the canary in the coal mine uh in so far as and, his, and his response Polis. And, and Jared Polis uh, to to a lesser degree, but Jared Polis has been doing this for a long time and has been studi studiously ignored by by the press. I mean, he's yeah. He's while, been... while he has a fifty seven percent approval rating, he may be the only American politician right now who has an approval rating approaching sixty percent. I'm not I'm not joking. I mean, yeah. but he's been, uh, again he's been he's been a, a COVID model. Right. His his state's been a COVID model for a long time. Has been ignored. The press can't ignore New York City. They there they live there. So that's to me the the real litmus test but you know the the problem is to to take the lesson and to and to use it effectively is almost to kind of switch teams um and that's and this is all about uh, uh tribes and teams right so it, it's it's to it's to it's to make an admission that the other side is right and has been right oh no because that's the genius of the response so far Chris Hayes of MSNBC whom I like personally switched teams without announcing that he had switched teams. He was just like I guess everybody's going to get it and we're all going to have to learn to live with this. 6 weeks ago he was a he was a deranged hysteric. I mean, one of the worst 
in terms of talking about this condition and the and the pandemic and what we need to do about the pandemic and this is why i brought this up because it's like honest to god it's like a memo wound out it's it's like they're all on the same email chain and the memo went out that it was time to switch tactics well chris caveated that with with a, a pretty significant you know uh you know, caveat, we're saying, you know, unless we were to adopt a Chinese style COVID zero regime, that's what we're going to have to deal with, which is revealing for two particular dispiriting reasons. One, that China doesn't have a COVID zero regime and we don't know what China's regime really is. And to acknowledge their official statistics is to be naive. But second, you know, a general response in the, the very unrepresentative, but nevertheless important social media sphere was to say, well, yeah, what the heck? Why aren't we adopting an authoritarian anti, uh, you know, a, a, a COVID like a COVID zero style regime that arrests the spread of this thing? We can do it. We have the tools. Why don't we do it? That psychological temptation to be more authoritarian on the left is still very prevalent. Well, also, uh, I just want to add that, you know, because we're talking a little bit about the media here. Um, there's still a lot of the panic mongering going on. Uh, one of the most revolting things the most dishonest things that I've seen over the past week, headline after headline to the effect of children's hospitalizations with COVID are up X percent, 30 percent, something big, big numbers. Outlet after outlet said this. And then you read the piece and you look further down and there's always an admission by some health figure or uh, someone that they've that the that the paper is interviewed at the local hospital saying, Yes, more children are testing positive for COVID when they're in the hospital, but these are not necessarily kids who came in hospitalized for COVID. In fact, they are not hospitalized for COVID. We are not seeing a rise in children hospitalizations for COVID. We are seeing more positive tests among kids who have been hospitalized for but other He said things. something like that, didn't he? I think on Maddow. Who did? Uh, Anthony Fauci. Of oh, the week, well, yeah, right? something similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, so Fauci says they're all talking to each other. By the way, <laughs> right? No, but Fauci Fauci's says not going on Fox to should, say this. He won't yeah. go on Fox. We should not be using case numbers as our metric. We should be using hospitalizations as our metric. Fauci is the person in the United States and the world who declared, who declared that case numbers were going to be the standard by which we judged how, how, loose, how much looser we could get with restrictions. That's a year ago. Case numbers. He said case numbers had to fall under 10,000 new cases a day for the pandemic to end. Case numbers are now well over 300,000 a day in the United States because of Omicron. Wow. Suddenly, we can't use case numbers as a metric. You know why? Because there would be a revolution in this country if you followed the logic of a regime that said 10,000 cases means the pandemic is over. Oh, we just went from 75,000 cases to 300,000 cases a day in the last six weeks. You know what that logic suggests? Lockdowns like in South Korea. You test positive for Omicron, somebody comes and solders your door shut. That is the logic of that. He is the creator of that standard. He was the guy who went on TV and said 10,000 cases a day meant that we were out of this. I think what happened is that there was a momentary spasm of realism when the contagion of Omicron and the lack of severity of Omicron, the fact that those dovetailed, suddenly there was a moment when they all saw the same thing, which is we can't stop it. And maybe, just maybe, if we don't stop, if we don't attempt to stop it, Everybody will get it. They will develop antibodies against COVID. And this, combined with vaccinations and boosts, will be the way out of this condition. We can't say it like that. And we can't say that you shouldn't isolate if you have a contagious 
illness because you don't know whom you're going to pass the contagion on to and who might suffer be, be sort of like a sport out of the out of the general population and and suffer unnecessarily or you know really badly from it so you probably should go into a room and isolate for five days but the society would collapse number one or number two there would be a gigantic revolt and that is there was this moment and i i almost can't believe it happened i wrote a column about this last week in the middle of the week while we were off for you know i i, I mean it's still a little puzzling to me it's as though you know, everybody woke up, you know, had had electroconvulsive therapy, like suddenly saw things clearly. They all said suddenly that the people at the top of the CDC and the healthcare are saying saying the right thing. And now I think by Wednesday they could go back into their hole. Fauci said we're going to, as I said, started the show, you know, said, well, we may go back to insisting that there be a test, but there is no there is no way to get a test. So effectively, you know, society needs to stop for 10 days while millions of people are going to get this. I mean, first of all, millions have already may have already gotten it. It could get to 30, 40 million. I mean, who knows? I was vaxxed and boosted. I got it. I know, you know, dozens of people vaxxed and boosted who got it. And I'm thankful that I got it, to be honest. Like I've been sitting here for 20 months, 22 months, like living under the Damocles sword of this thing. And then I got it. And now I've had it. And, you know, I, I, I'm blessed by the fact that it, it, it had almost no effect on me, but I mean, thank God. And, you know, like right now, I think it, 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 there's a kind of, a, there would be an anxiety at some point that you didn't get it because then you'll get it in February. If you didn't get it now, maybe if your whole family gets it at once, you could all, you know, was a, there was some weird blessing in the fact that my family got it over the holidays because everything was stopping anyway, even though it kind of, you know, kind of ruined the week. But, you know, better that than sort of like screeching everything to a halt, which is what the teachers unions are trying but to do. If, if you're correct that they're going to start backpedaling, which I think there are some, unfortunately, uh, there are some signs that the public health institutions in particular are going to do this. That is going to prompt a, a whole new round of institutional crises because the the whole point of a lot of these like excessive safety measures that have been in place for so long is that we're 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 listening to the experts you know we're talking to the cdc says x y and z well the cdc now officially says about schools for example they should be the last to close and the first to reopen everything else should be shut down before we shut down our schools that is not uh, the teachers unions are not going to allow that to happen. They want to close first and for as long as possible. And then they'll go out and party and, uh, you know, and, and go to the nightclubs and restaurants that are still open. That's certainly been the case here in Washington, D.C. We, we, they, they're stupid enough to post on Instagram themselves partying while insisting it's unsafe to go back and do their jobs. So I want to take a break. First out of 2022, uh, an old friend with new copy because I love my work. And I'm glad to be back at work, but sometimes I dread sitting down at my desk, or at least I used to, before I got my X chair. Now, thanks to my X chair, I actually look forward to sitting in my office because my body feels so much more supported and comfortable, or in this case, I should say my home office. And more comfort means more productivity, helping my X chair pay for itself thanks to how much more work I'm getting done every day. And if I'm feeling tired or tight or stressed, I just turn on the LMX massage feature and choose from four different massage options. If the office is running too hot or too cold, I just flip on the LMX temperature regulation and either heat or cool my lower back. And once you feel the customized supportive X chairs patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. So take my advice. Try X chair yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back. I promise. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchaircommentary.com. And let me also talk to you about our friends at ExpressVPN. Because when you use the bathroom, you always close the door behind you, right? You don't want random passersby looking in on you. So would you let people look in on you when you go online? Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like going to the restroom and not closing the door. Did you know that your internet service provider knows every single website you visit? 
What's worse, they can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who will use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. It works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. And the best part is, Using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing the bathroom door. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by Mashable, The Verge, and countless others. So if you're like me and believe your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash commentary today. Use my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash commentary, and you can get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash commentary. Noah. I want to talk to you about the politics of everything we just talked about for half an hour. I have a theory. I'm just going to throw it out in one sentence. It's baked in the cake. The Democrats are going to get punished for the behavior of the Biden administration and the public health officials in blue states and even in red states uh, as a result of what happened uh, during 2021. Uh, More deaths than 2020. Two surges uh, in constancy, in message, in constancy, in approach. And of course, at the end of the year, the massive testing failure and Biden saying, gee, I wish I'd done it earlier. After we spent $2 trillion on on coronavirus relief this year, coronavirus this year alone, $2 trillion this year. 2021. Yeah. This year's 2020. Excuse me, 2021, (laughs) last year. $2 trillion but we didn't get the tests ready. So um, my theory is they're screwed. Christy wants to know why they don't, why they don't, you know, why he doesn't pick a fight. Why the teacher, the teacher going to do that. Eh? Forget it. It's over. It's over. They're good. They've got the midterm curse on the ruling party and they've got this and every thing that they're seeing in their private data. This is my theory is showing them that they are toast beyond toast and there's nothing that they can do. It's baked in the cake. So they're toast that's baked in a cake is what I'm saying. It's, a lot it's of like carbs. a trifle. Yeah. It's like a trifle or a something. Um, yes. And it is it is baked in cake. And they are in the process of constructing a, a comfort blanket, a psychological comfort blanket, which will excuse away their own uh, maladministration as and and the voter backlash, not as a response to intolerable and excessively authoritarian public policy, but as a demand for excessively authoritarian public policy. They are in the process of if you survey the information environment on the left this morning, they are working themselves up into a lather over the idea that American democracy is finished within the space of the next 10 years. This is these are the final days of the Belle Epoque. And there's going to be a fascist takeover of the country because that's what the public wants, which is why democracy promoting bills are such an urgent, necessary public policy. It is it is the primary thing that they should be doing now after they spent the last year working on, you know, this moonshot of, uh, of the Build Back Better legislation. And polling does suggest that Democrats really do believe this. Roughly a quarter of Democrats, according to an Axios poll that came out a couple of days ago said the highest priority in American uh, public life right now is democracy promotion and securing democracy through legislative reforms. Um, This registers with almost nobody outside the Democratic Party's ranks. It doesn't register for independents. It's like a non-issue. Republicans uh, respond slightly more to it, but you can tell that their responses are based around a whole different set of priors. So it's just Democrats talking to Democrats about a, a something that doesn't really have much resonance with the greater, broader electorate after having spent a year of doing just that. Um, so yes, they're, they're stuck in a hamster wheel and they're, they're narrowing their focus on the electorate rather than broadening it, uh, which is an interesting response to these political conditions. You can tell, you can see why it would be psychologically appealing, um, but it's also, you know, just further reinforcing the conditions that are, as you say, John, have baked a voter backlash into the cake. 
But you know, by the way, it's not just that um, the 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 idea doesn't resonate with Americans. Um, There's death of democracy fatigue. Um, How could there not be? I mean, you know, it it has been twenty four hours a day, every day. Um, It is it is it has been the only thing that liberal media has been able to talk about because everything that Biden is actually doing is um, extraordinarily unpopular and problematic. So they, they've been on this message for so long that it, people are completely exhausted. And some of their, uh, their doom mongering about democracy has actually proven to be false already, which is think about the redistricting and the gerrymandering. Remember for six months, we've been hearing that this is gonna be terrible for democracy. Republicans are gonna gerrymander their way into power. It'll be unfair, undemocratic, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now it's clear as we're looking at the newly redrawn districts and, and, and the map overall, Democrats actually have done better than Republicans in most cases, in part because the Democrats hired lawyers like Mark Elias to go out there and sue left and right in order to gerrymander to favor Democratic politicians. So even even these little that that's a little preview, I think, of, of what Noah was saying about, you know, the, the sort of argument that it's all about democracy. I think we'll also see a lot of that this week with the anniversary of January 6th. I think that's going to be the theme. And in some ways, it'll be a welcome distraction for the Democrats to focus on that rather than what's going on in the country in terms of the economy and COVID uh, and, and their own uh, reelection numbers. The January 6th, commemoration i guess we will get to uh on thursday uh when it happens or on friday in the aftermath of the commemoration um i'm fascinated by something that happened over the weekend so um eric erickson the georgia pundit radio broadcaster you know big tea party got all this so he was a very harsh voice on january 6th and on the republican lines about trump's election being stolen you know trump's uh, the trump election steal uh theory and all this um i don't remember whether he supported the second impeachment or not but nonetheless he's been he's as a as a very conservative guy he has been very stalwart in his expressions of disgust and horror at what happened on january 6th but uh, over the weekend he did a tweet in which he said January 6th was terrible, but it was a bad day and it was a bad day for America. And uh, the idea that it was a turning point, you know, it's like the nightmarish turning point in the history of mankind. Uh, People are being crazy saying that, at which point other stalwart opponents of what happened on January 6th, but who, you know, turn on him like jackals for expressing this opinion that I think is the most reasonable take, by which I mean there are two different uh, narratives going on. One is what happened on January 6th with the people who did January 6th. That is to say the mob that you know uh, pre- uh, breached the perimeter around the Capitol, broke in hundreds of people wandering around, 150 to 200 people seem to have been convicted or at least, you know, legitimately charged with having assaulted police officers, damage, vandalism, all of that. Then there is this parallel narrative, which is that there was a concerted systematic effort to create the conditions under which the election would be reversed, emanating from the Trump White House with various officials and had it not been for five people or something like that, who, you know, five people saying no, if those five people had said yes rather than no, Trump would have cooed and would have been, you know, would have overthrown the election and Pence was one and, you know, whatever. There's a whole, there's this whole theory. First of all, five people is a lot, uh, you know, when 10 people are what's needed you know, or something. That, you know, basically the people who really had a way of helping Trump stage a coup said no. Um, It doesn't matter that Rick Perry, the former secretary of energy, said yes or no or whatever. I mean, it's disgusting if he wanted the election results overturned. But nonetheless, um, and then there's a whole question of what Trump wanted. And that's a whole separate issue. But so there are these two tracks, like what happened on January 6th and what happened before January 6th that created a systematic effort to design an insurrection that was going to overthrow the government. And the idea that you could separate them and say January 6th was terrible and those people were all, you know, criminals driven insane 
but that in fact democracy was never really at risk that is an arguable proposition it's sort of more like where 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 i am uh and where i have been and i supported the second impeachment i thought trump should have been impeached the next day and thrown out of all you know impeached and and uh you know and um removed from office and if you remember like nancy pelosi couldn't even figure out how to get a trial you know how to get a hearing up on on impeaching him before <laughs> before the inauguration and the impeachment trial took place two weeks after Biden was inaugurated as president. So the whole thing was a kind of ridiculous farce, um, in part because of the way the Democrats themselves handled it, even though everyone wants to blame the Republicans for not voting to, you know, voting through them out of office. And uh, once again, they're gonna, they're overplaying their hand and they are trying to create the conditions under which no one is allowed to say anything other than this was the worst thing that ever happened in American history and everybody around it should be destroyed and everything. And if you don't think this, then you're corrupt or you're in the pay of Trump or something like that. So uh, I am, I just think it's like one of those moments where they don't even know how, how bananas they sound, except to that 25% of people that Noah's talking about. Like, I don't think people in America think that they're, I believe probably now that as many people who are not, you know, like just lined up, as many people believe that our freedoms were put at risk by the overweening in, in, in interference in personal lives during the pandemic by government officials as believe that democracy was a threat because of the demented idea that Pence could reject the electors or that the demented idea that there would be that the military would go along with a coup against, you know, the the legitimate election results of 2020. And that's why I think it's baked in the cake, because they're sitting there, they're all having their jollies and having, you know, basically, you know, kind of um, onanistic thrills with the explore, exploration of their arguments. And um, they don't even know what's going on in the minds and hearts of America, which are like, no, you're not doing this to us again. And by the way, it's not even sc schools are the best example. But given the fact that most people don't have school age children, it's not schools. It is go into this place, wear a mat, go to an airport. You have to wear a mat, go here. You have to do this. You must behave this way. You must behave that way. This is the first time in our lives, with the exception of, go, you know, like taking off your shoes in the airports or going through scanners, that this is the government has ever insisted on the management of your personal interactive behavior with other civilians. I, I hate to say ever. this. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure that we're even looking at it from the right altitude because I think they're going to swing back and forth on this in the future because there are going to be other variants and 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 the nature of each variant has taken public health experts by total surprise each time and they're, they're, the sort of mistake in in managing this has been to act as if there's there's a there's a there's a single way to understand the virus and contain it and if you listen to us we it will follow this path and I, there's there's not going to be a way for them to sort of I think gradually ease up on restrictions to 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 change their tone over the long run necessarily. They're dependent on what happens with the virus, and and th as we all are, which has been the truth from the start. So I, I don't I don't I don't know how they're going to be able to manage this politically going forward. Well, so. When they say, okay, there's a new variant. So here's what you have to do. You have to mask up. You have to get vaccinated. You have to get boosted. Okay. What are they going to say the next time? Because in Israel, Naftali Bennett, the prime minister, is, is, is frying his own career, which itself is time limited, by the way, because his coalition, according to the rules of his coalition, in I think another year, he has to give up the prime ministership to to the defense minister, Benny Gantz. But he's like, we'll have five boosters. We'll have six boosters. Children are going to die here. Like he's, he's like a COVID hawk 
like nobody's business and the public there has had enough. They've had enough. And just saying, here, go get another shot. I have an idea. Go get another shot. Without any evidence that getting another shot is going to help. So now it's, if you're over 80, <laughs> you should get another shot. Because maybe the vaccine is of waning efficacy. In regards to a, a variant that has not killed anyone in Israel. There's not a single death in Israel from, from Omicron. They are now like, so it is as though the unimaginative, thuddingly unimaginative thing that happens when something bad happens is go back to your talisman, put on your mask, you know, worship at the altar of the vaccines. The vaccines are amazing. They're fantastic. And they've done what they've, they've done that they were supposed to do. They are not an eradication device. They're a mitigation device, right? And they, they worked. So everyone who's vaccinated and gets Omicron apparently has a mild case of Omicron. That was what it was for. It was not, you know, it took two generations after the smallpox, smallpox, smallpox vaccine or three generations for smallpox to be eradicated. It wasn't eradicated the minute that everybody got the vaccination. It was, it had to be, it had to go through 50 or 60 years before it vanished because it doesn't go away all at once anyway. But you can't just say to people, do the same thing over and over again when they did it. And then the, and then the new variant spread anyway, like it, just, it, the logic is, is deranged. And this, and, yeah. and, and this, there's, there's, you know, some sort of scientific reason to believe that this might be as good as the vaccines are going to be against variants, because the, the virus evolves in different ways. One of them is to evade, <clears throat> excuse me, evade antibodies. Um, so if if the new variants, it's an if, but you know, but but the 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 variants that survive are the ones that are you know adapt to the new environment, and if the new environment is one in which everyone is uh, vaccinated, um, then it would favor natural selection would would pick those variants that can further evade the antibodies. So this may be as good as the 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 um, vaccines get. And it's fantastic because if you got vaccinated, you're not getting sick from Omicron. So that's great. Like (laughs) that is... That is that is fantastic. I, I mean, so let's, you know, as I say, but saying to people, you know, just do what we told you to do before and isolate and do this and we'll close schools and all of that. Like, that's why I say it's baked in the cake. There is one political party in the United States who did not that did not surrender to the idea that the government should have personal control over your personal interactions and your work life and your children's school life and where you go and how you try there one party did and one party didn't and i nobody by this point is going to reward the party that that was associated with that with much of anything that axios poll that i referenced earlier about you know how the public generally wasn't responding to this democracy narratives demonstrated or showed rather that most of the people uh, most of the people who surveyed uh, said that there were they're they're fearful, more feel fearful about the future than they were at the dawn of the of the Biden administration. And what they want desperately to hear less of are the words COVID and Trump. They just want to move on so badly from these two things. And the governing party has precisely no interest in that. Those are their two main messaging strategies right now. One, they're primary public policy focus and their primary political focus are the two things that the public generally doesn't want to hear from, doesn't want to hear about, which means they don't want to hear from Democrats. It's, um, it's an interesting thing to say on January 3rd. I don't know what election, November 3rd, let's just say it's November 3rd of 2022. I don't know what the election day is, but that, but that, um, you know, there's reason for absolute and utter fatalism on the part of Democrats. And then this creates then an interesting scenario for the year. The, the scenario, political scenario is this. One is do whatever you can to get anything done. You know, do whatever you can 
somebody put $20 billion into a Cayman's account for Stephen Breyer's children so that he'll 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 retire and you can get your Supreme Court nominee in, you know, or or blow up the filibuster in the Senate. (laughs) Right. But or the other is it's every man for himself, which is to say you basically say the ship is scuttled. Right. And we're done. Uh, It's every man for himself. There's no longer any rules. You get you get out the way you get out. You can whatever. And that means individual Democrats, Nancy Pelosi no longer insists that individual Democrats hew to certain kinds of principles. Like if you're if in your district, you need to do X, Y or Z to save yourself. You go right ahead and do it. Attack us. Attack Biden. You know, shoot, shoot through, uh, you know, be Joe Manchin in 2012 or whatever and shoot through the climate change, you know, bill because. It's now just a. This is now just a salvation, you know, project. The ship is scuttled, and you have every moral right to do whatever you want. We no longer have an agenda. We have no agenda. We're not getting anything done. There's not going to be build back better. We're not getting any democracy promotion. We're getting nothing. You say what you need to say to save yourself, and maybe we can we can alleviate the damage a little bit. That is, by the way, what happened when when. George H.W. Bush struck the deal on deficit reduction um, with Democrats in 1990, and uh, Newt Gingrich basically announced uh, that it was, you know, basically all there were no one was obliged in the Republican caucus in the House to defend the president's actions. They were free to attack the president in every way, shape, or form that they wanted. It was every man for himself because this was a betrayal of the no, you know, no new taxes pledge. And they could say they were shocked that Bush, you know, did that. And it mitigated the damage. Like the Republican losses in in 1990 were much lower than anybody would have anticipated. I think they were the lowest midterm losses pretty much since 1980, by the way, uh, in, in, in either party astonishingly. And so, uh, except, except maybe for 98, um, when Democrats actually gained, but I mean, and I'm just saying like it, it, there is, there is precedent for this. It's just a long time. It's a long time to give up hope. Okay. So let's just move on. Let's just do a quick lightning round on things that, uh, that, that happened that we couldn't talk about a Ghislaine Maxwell verdict, uh, five of six charges guilty. Um, (laughs) Good, good, good. All good. Although we still, you know, uh, we don't know uh, what happened. We, we don't, don't know who yeah. did it. And we, we don't, don't know. What there was, was a lot on. that was suppressed. There was a lot of information that probably should have come out and would have publicly shamed many political and cultural leaders in this country and in others that was suppressed. But I am glad to see that conviction. She was a procurer for a monster and she deserves to spend the rest of her life in prison. Or at we least are never going to hear from her. Do you know why we're never going to hear from her? She knows this better than anybody. Not only did Epstein kill himself rather than, you know, sing because he was going to, he would get killed if he sang, or maybe he did get killed and he didn't sing. But um, her own father was almost certainly uh, killed for having betrayed somebody or other and thrown off his yacht and stuff like that. And she's only 60. And if she doesn't want to get shivved in a woman's prison, she's going to keep her mouth shut. So the idea that maybe she'll sing very doubtful, very doubtful. She will go to her grave, not telling anybody. And we will never know what happened on those plane rides and who who took advantage and who was on the, where those videotapes are that you know he took because somehow he ended up, he died with a fortune of $600 million for no reason. And, you know, had, and had Leslie Wexner, you know, give him a house and, for, and, and, and Leon Black of Apollo forgive $150 million or like, pay him $150 in consulting fees. Um, And, you know, it is basically like every conspiracy theory that you have ever heard prove true. And we're never going to, you know, it's the the one case in which I would say that any paranoid theory about what has gone on here uh, cannot be dismissed. There's just no way to dismiss it. And everybody is complicit unless they somehow get goods on Prince Andrew. I mean, that would be pretty. I mean, if, if, if Prince Andrew goes down, like, 
a member of the British royal family. That's well, they're edging him. The royal family's already edged him out. Like he has no more public role. They're going to completely sideline him for the jubilee for the queen this year. Like he's he's already persona non grata. He's not going to be standing but... on that balcony waving. <laughs> no, but you know, you know, it could be worse. The other be... thing about the verdict is it's another good verdict and a string of good verdicts in the U.S. Right? Uh, for everyone decrying our unfair, unjust only for the rich, you know, uh, racist, everything else, uh, justice system. We have seen her conviction. We've seen the, uh, uh, Jesse Smollett convicted for the hoax. We saw uh, the, the uh, Ahmaud Arbery uh, uh, killers uh, convicted. We saw, what am I missing? Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. And uh, justifiably, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, not found guilty. And then you had that very difficult verdict, that complex and difficult verdict in the case of the police officer in Minneapolis who 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 acknowledged that she she shot a gun rather than a taser, that she had confused the two weapons. And uh, and and the the, the jury basically decided after significant time of debate that, you know, a person who is given the power, uh, you know, who who is who has ceded the authority to use you know, deadly force, uh, there is no margin for error. You can't say, well, it was an honest mistake. I really meant to shoot the taser, but I shot the gun. Like you have to, you, you are responsible for your actions and you've been a, you're a 49 year old police officer. You should be able to tell the difference of the feeling of the weapon in your hand. Um, and that was a difficult verdict because, you know, obviously what happened was, you know, unintentional, uh, you know, wasn't a you know deliberate act of, of of uh, you know of killing, but um, but so even there, you have an interesting example of of I think a good ver a good a good difficult verdict that unless you were on that jury, you would have no real right to question. And and I will say the public is focusing once again on the last year's homicide numbers as they should, and and just the, the huge spike in violent crime in this country. And there was a, and and shifting some focus as it also should be on the again progressive prosecutors and DAs who refuse to actually take these these uh, violent cases all the way through uh, and try to get a conviction on. There's a heart heart wrenching story in the Washington Post recently of the father of a of a teenager who was killed outside of his charter school here in D.C. Um, over, I guess he'd insulted a girl in class and the girl called some friends who showed up after school and he ended up getting stabbed and dying. They, they arrested two guys, but the DA wouldn't, he was going to paper them or like, you know, basically plead them down. And the father was furious and, and it's about to go in front of a judge, I think this week or next. And the father's going to say, look, I, the, these these guys need to be prosecuted. Everyone involved is African-American. This isn't a race issue. This is a matter of like, and the father's plea for justice for the life of his son is it's it's heartbreaking to read, but to look at how the system, if you want to talk about systemic inequities and injustices, victims here are, are I hope 2022 brings more and more attention to the needs and the injustices that are being visited upon the victims of crime in this country. They are, they need to have their say more than we need to hear about, you know, vague abstractions about systemic inequities that we from progressive prosecutor types well spoken and with that we will bid you adieu until tomorrow for aid christina noah and john podhortz keep the camel burning